0: When I was in fifth grade, our family moved across town. And that sounds like a big deal, but it was only four blocks. It was a small town. Uh, we moved in next to the Dykstra's, a big, noisy, outgoing, rambunctious, fun family. They weren't strangers to us, again, small town, but we were strangers to their neighborhood. And they welcomed us so well. Their home was open to us, literally. We could walk in anytime without knocking. Uh, Dick and Grace, the parents, became really like parents to us Tensen kids. They fed us, played with us, teased us, listened to us, loved us, just like their own kids. And they had a pack of them. And right in the middle of that pack of kids was Dodie. She was a tomboy, smart, funny, athletic, and gorgeous. I had such a crush on her. She was about six years older than me. Uh, When Dodie graduated from high school, she went to college to be a pharmacist, just like her dad. No one questioned her which was a little unusual in the late 60s, she was going to be a good pharmacist, maybe even come back home and work with her dad. But Dodie got pregnant, and everything came to a screeching halt. She was called back home to meet with the elders of her home church, these old men in Dark suits and dark skinny black ties explained to her that she had sinned and sinned greatly. Therefore, it was their duty to excommunicate her from the church, her family's church, and they did. She was no longer welcomed there. I don't remember seeing much of Dodie after that. She did become a pharmacist. But she didn't come back home to work with her dad. That was no longer an option for her. Several years later, I heard that Dodie lost her job and her pharmacy license. She had been caught using drugs that she prescribed. This bright, beautiful neighbor that I adored was an addict. Her life had spun out of her control broken apart. She was no longer welcome in her home church, her hometown, her profession, and in so many of her relationships. She became a stranger. What did your parents teach you about strangers don't talk to strangers we warn our kids not to talk to people that they don't know stranger danger truth is most of us experience the kindness of strangers more often than being harmed by strangers. You probably have a story or two. When did a stranger show up to help you when you needed help? Years ago, I was leaving an event and I left a bank bag filled with money on the top of my car and I drove away I didn't realize it until the next morning. I couldn't find it, no idea where it was. Pretty sure my boss was going to fire me. At my next appointment, the bank bag was waiting for me. A stranger saw it fall off of my car, figured out where I was going because of the sign on the side of my car, and he dropped it off for me. A stranger who I never met saved my job I never told my boss (laughs) when did a stranger help you get your car running give you a ride paid your bill when you left your cash your cards at home returned your lost cell phone maybe brought you a meal when you were sick or grieving welcomed you to the neighborhood. Maybe we need to share those stories a little bit more often to counteract our deep-seated fear of strangers. You know, that's called called, uh, xenophobia, fear, phobia, fear of strangers. It's so ingrained in us. This cycle of of mistrust and suspicion and and hostility. And it's so hard to break. So we pop in our ear pods so we don't have to talk to anybody. We lock our doors so no one can get in. We install security cameras so we can see if they try. And we build panic rooms just in case they do. Because we've been taught to believe that the stranger is dangerous. We can't allow them anywhere near us or near the people that we love. The faceless outsider needs to be kept out and as far away as possible. And please know, I do not want to minimize the experience of anyone in this room who's been hurt by a stranger. It does happen, and it's terrifying. Here's a problem. Dr. Krish Candia, he spoke at the Global Leadership Summit this year. He writes about this in his book called God is Stranger. Though our, our knee-jerk reaction is to fear the stranger, crime statistics actually tell a very different story. Children are more likely to be abused or attacked by someone they know and trust rather than a stranger. Women are far more likely to be assaulted, raped, or murdered by a family member, a friend, a spouse, rather than an unknown intruder. The vast majority of murder victims die in their own homes at the hands of someone they know. The greatest terrorist threat to Americans is domestic violence. Terrorism perpetrated by white males. If we base our fears on fact rather than fantasy, we should be far more wary of those we know than those we don't. The stranger who dominates Christianity is Jesus. Jesus, who was often misunderstood and overlooked, he always confronted fear of strangers. And in the process, he showed how to treat strangers properly. Jesus once told a story about a stranger who stopped to help. It's known as the parable of the good Samaritan. The parable, which is actually a story with a hidden meaning, is told in response to a question asked by a religious expert. This guy, this guy knew his stuff. He knew religion. He knew the scriptures. He knew the Hebrew law. He understood what it said. But he didn't understand what Jesus was saying about this mysterious kingdom of God. And he was curious. But he was also confused. How do I inherit eternal life? He asked Jesus. What do I do? And Jesus told him. It's all about love. Love God and love your neighbor. Okay? But who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who deserves love? My attention, who counts, who's in, who's out, who's worthy of my time, and who isn't? So instead of answering those questions, Jesus told a story about a man who was a good neighbor. And this is how it goes. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day he told the, he took out 2 2 denarii he gave them to the innkeeper look after him he said and when i return i'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have jesus flips the question it's not about identifying who is my neighbor it's about being a neighbor, being a person who reaches out to strangers. That's how you find God. That's how you follow Jesus. So here's three things that Jesus is, say, is saying about showing hospitality to strangers. First, Jesus says that there's no limit to our responsibility when it comes to hospitality. Our neighbor is each and every stranger, whoever they are, wherever they're from. In fact, you might say the stranger they are, the more they're our neighbor. Did you hear that? The stranger they are, the more they are our neighbor. This is what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote. The Jewish sages noted that on only one occasion does the Hebrew Bible command us to love our neighbor. But in 37 places, it commands us to love the stranger. Our neighbor is one we love because he is like ourselves. The stranger is one we are taught to love precisely because he is not. Like ourselves. At Orchard, we believe that the purpose of the church is to be partners with strangers, to welcome those that Jesus welcomed, and to be a community of different. Classes, backgrounds, genders, sexuality, races, ethnic groups, jobs, seasons of life, political opinions, and there's probably a bunch more. Where we are being made one in Jesus. Hospitality is not an option. It's who we are. Last week, Jeff gave us a vision of our church. He shared a picture of a raft on a whitewater river. It's an exciting, thrilling adventure to follow Jesus together. It's not always comfortable, not always easy. And we need to paddle, to stay on course. We each play a part, an important part, as we travel down that river together. And who is in the raft with us is critically important. Because here's the, church, here's the truth everyone is invited. God already made that decision long before He invited you. Why? Because people matter to God. And because people matter to God, they matter to us. And not just some of the people, but all of the people. And they matter all of the time. Second, there's no limit to our respect of others when it comes to our hospitality. This parable, this story, must have really made waves. The hero's a Samaritan, not a Jew. He's a foreigner, an outsider, an enemy of the Jewish people. Tim Keller says this, "By by depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and we must love our neighbors. Our number one value at Orchard is that everyone is welcome. We believe this because we believe that every life is sacred Every person has value and is worthy of respect. Every person is an ever-living, never-dying soul loved by God. That's true here in this room on Sunday morning. It's also true in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, at sidecar, at single speed, at Target, at Planet Fitness, even at the DMV. Third, there's no limit to our level of response when it comes to hospitality. This is a super challenging parable because the Samaritan went above and beyond all expectations. You know, he could have just kind of wished the man well, said a prayer for him, maybe called for help when he got to his destination, um, gave some money to a local charity, held a bake sale, maybe ran a marathon. For other stranded victims, all good things. But this was a person in need right in front of him. The Samaritan's response was was immediate and intimate, above and beyond all expectations. Have you ever had an experience when someone wasn't ready for you? You showed up somewhere on time? And they weren't expecting you. They'd forgotten you were coming. How did that make you feel? What about when the opposite happens? When you are the recipient of above and beyond hospitality? You know, I feel that way every time we take a trip to Haiti or Mozambique to to visit our partners there, our friends there. Our team's are always welcomed into homes and, and shown such incredible hospitality. And it's not just the, the food and the gifts, but, but it's the genuine attention and, and love that they show to us, us strangers. How well are we doing this around here? are we all expecting visitors are we ready for them what part do you play here in your home in your neighborhood at work at your school are you ready to put the visitor the stranger in front of yourself not to impress them but to value them? There's one more thought. No amount of religious knowledge can replace hospitality. The man who asked Jesus about finding eternal life was a religious expert, but he was a rookie when it came to mercy. You know, our knowledge of the Bible, Our Sunday morning attendance, our participation in any kind of religious activity is no guarantee of eternal life. Jesus encourages and warns us that it's mercy, mercy is what is required. No more excuses, no more procrastinating, no more limits. Jesus wants us to be free, to love everyone. He said to the religious expert, do this and you will live. Why is this so hard? There was an experiment done at Princeton Seminary. Students were asked to write a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan and then deliver it to their class. And as they walked through an alley to get from the study room to the lecture room, they had to walk by someone who was slumped in a doorway, groaning. What do you think happened? Did anyone stop and help? Give me a thumbs up if you think somebody stopped and helped. Give me a thumbs down if you think nobody stopped and helped. You're right, Liz. Nobody stopped and helped. The students who wrote a talk about the Good Samaritan weren't willing to be one themselves. This is probably one of the best-known stories that Jesus told, and yet it may be the hardest one to put into practice. Things can take so long to move from our head to our heart. Is this fear of the stranger so deeply rooted that it's impossible to hear and to believe and to follow what Jesus tells us? Are we just like that religious expert? Would we rather stall and wrestle over our questions rather than see people who need love and welcome them? God's concern, as demonstrated demonstrated throughout the writings of the scriptures, the writings and the stories of the Bible, is focused on the last, the lost, the least, and the left out. And we should include ourselves on that list. Because each one of us is flawed, is selfish, and broken. If we love God, We will make room for strangers. We'll offer them the kind of hospitality that God extended to us and that Jesus models for us. The word hospitality in the Bible means love of the stranger. And that's the antidote for xenophobia, the fear of the stranger. The antidote for fear of strangers is love of strangers. Our deepest fear as a culture could actually be our greatest opportunity as followers of Jesus. Through love, hostility can turn into hospitality, strangers can become friends. Loneliness can change into into hope and exclusion into inclusion. One day about 25 years ago or so, while I was working at a church in Sioux City, I got a phone call. The woman said that she knew me And that her name was Emily. And that we used to be neighbors. It was Dodie. That was her nickname. Her actual name was Emily. That beautiful, brilliant teenager that I adored. Who became a broken woman who lost her life through promiscuity, addiction, lying, stealing, and was judged and despised by her own people. Over the next couple of weeks, we had several conversations over the phone. She told me her story, one of, of pain and rejection, loneliness. Shame, guilt. She was happy to tell me of her recovery and and being sober for several years, how she reconnected with her family who always loved her. She found somebody to share her life with, a man who also knew brokenness and disappointment. And she was ready to come to church. She wanted to be with God's people again. She needed to be with God again. But she was afraid. Was it too late? Had she fallen too far? Would a church want her? Would people welcome her? Would God welcome her? Some of those questions I could answer. It wasn't too late. The church is made up of broken, sinful people. God never left her. But would our church welcome her? I hoped so. I really did. But would they? Over the years, I have experienced and seen the judgment and the fear from good, church-going people, when a stranger showed up. Would Emily be welcomed? I knew I would welcome her, but that's all I could tell her. She came one Sunday morning. She came early. We met in my office. She was trembling. She was so afraid. And she looked so old and frail. Life had not been kind to her, and it showed took so much courage for her to show up. She slid into the back row after the service started, and I kept my eyes on her from the front. At the end, as I shook hands at the door, I watched as a couple of women introduced themselves to Emily in the corner of the atrium. And they talked. A couple of others joined them, more talking. And then I saw Emily smile and laugh. She told me afterwards, it wasn't so bad. People were really nice. She came back. She later brought her husband. They eventually joined the church and then joined a small group. They made friends. They found a church family that welcomed them just as they were, loved them, made room for them. That's who we want to be here at Orchard. Our deepest fear can be our greatest opportunity as followers of jesus christians are called to welcome strangers to offer hospitality on sunday or any day anywhere any place and in so doing we welcome god just as he has welcomed us let's pray Father, please forgive us for the times that we have not welcomed a stranger, someone who needed help, that we haven't extended a hand of hospitality, when instead we've continued to build up these layers around ourselves that uh, we're convinced we need to be safe and, and secure and maybe in some crazy way even think that we're pleasing you by doing so. When it, it is so clear what it is that you are asking of us, first of all, you're saying, trust me. I know the best way to live. And part of that best way is we live without fear. When we live with love, love that is expressed in acts of kindness towards others. And help us, God, as a church family, to be a church where everyone truly is welcome. Help each of us to do our part. We pray this in the name of Jesus who welcomed every single one of us. Amen.